This is the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. Bitcoin has become one of the preferred currencies of criminals and fraudsters. We know this because Mirror Trading International, or MTI, and AfriCrypt were homegrown scams birthed right here in South Africa. They achieved international notoriety and were made possible by convincing the victims that Bitcoin represented some kind of financial freedom that was not possible using conventional currencies like the Rand or the US dollar. In most respects, these scams were just like any other. They were promising exorbitant returns of around 10% a month or more, which turned out to be nothing more than hot air. The frequency with which these scams continued to appear, despite the best efforts of the Financial Sector Conduct Authority or the FSCA to shut them down, is alarming. Crypto exchanges like Luno, Altcoin Trader, and Valor have teams that keep an eye on financial crime, and the ingenuity and evasiveness of the criminals is nothing short of admirable. Eva Crowell is Global Head of Financial Crime at Luno, and she joins us to talk about some of the recent trends in financial crime that her team has uncovered. Welcome, Eva. Maybe start by telling us a bit about yourself and your credentials as a financial crime investigator. Hi, Karen. Thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, so I'm a lawyer by training, and then I have a background in public finances. I started my career working for Treasury in the Netherlands. I think all the listeners can probably tell that I'm not a native South African. I moved to South Africa in in 2015. Um, I actually come from an environment of forensic investigators. Uh, My dad was an intelligence agent uh, for a long time uh, before he became the partner for forensics or financial crime at KPMG for many, many years. So you can say that it's literally in my blood. Um, So I left Treasury to work in intelligence and investigations about 12 years ago. I joined um, Deloitte in the Netherlands in the forensic practice in 2012, and like I said, moved to South Africa in 2015. I then worked for a variety of of clients, uh, mostly in the financial services um, sector in South Africa and the wider African continent on on a a large number of topics, uh, like fraud, uh, money laundering, bribery, corruption, um, sanctions, investigations, and so forth. And then I left Deloitte in 2020, in June 2020, to become the head of financial crime for Luno. And here we are. Excellent. Okay. So we know that a lot of the criminals and a lot of these scams, they are using reputable exchanges like Luno and Alcoin Trader and Valor to execute their crimes. But of course, that doesn't make you complicit. So this is one of the reasons that you set up a crime investigation team within, well, certainly within Luno, and I know the other exchanges have similar operations there. Tell us some of the recent trends you've observed at Luno with regard to financial crime. So overall, the financial services industry um, tracks patterns and, and fraud margins quite well. And what we see is there is a little bit of a difference in risk appetite between institutions uh, where you would see that traditional financial service providers like banks would generally consider fraud loss of between 5 to 8% as, as acceptable. Um, and uh, what we also see is in that in the crypto world, specifically for Luno, our, our threshold is much lower. Uh, we operate between uh, 0.5 and, and 1.5%, depending on, on our region. And we speak a lot about bank-grade security as a measure for, for our type of business. And um, yeah, based on those stats, it's obviously a very bold statement to make, but we can confirm that we at least are, are consider ourselves to be um, better than bank-grade even. 
Uh, and that's done by investing very, very heavily in advanced technology that allows us to um, actually track actions and events in real time. We have, to your point, quite a large investigations team that then um, detects patterns and typologies for us, uh, which makes it much more easier to, to identify risky behavior. So recently, what we've seen is a, is a big spike in financial crime uh, across um, the industry and, and even across the financial services industry as a whole, uh, predominantly where, where there's a large human factor involved, like, like scams. Now, when you dive a little bit deeper into scams, we, we roughly see three main streams. So we have the traditional get-rich-quick scams, where people are promised very high returns in Bitcoin if they invest in, in a certain fund or with a specific broker. Then we have romance scams, which are on the rise, where a lot of social engineering actually takes place to scam victims out of their money by, by simulating romantic relationships. And then lastly, an increasing category is impersonation scams. And, and again, then when we start scratching the surface around impersonation scams, what we see is that there's roughly two types. We are increasingly seeing impersonation scams where a customer is contacted by a person pretending to work for an exchange like Luno and to help them invest. Um, the money then subsequently is sent by the victim to a wallet that's controlled by the perpetrator. Um, and at Luno, we know this and we see this because obviously we can reuse technology to track where transactions are going. Um, and, and that has really helped us pick up on this typology quite early on. Um, and it's, it's, it's rather worrying. And then the second one is an impersonation where a customer is scammed out of their account access controls, like passwords and email addresses and so forth. And this very often happens through the use of fake emails and SMSs or even phone calls. So, I mean, words like smishing and phishing have become um, almost synonymous with, with this crime, where perpetrators actually pretend to work for an exchange again and need the customer details to fix an error or help them set something up on their account. And in this case, what's the worrying part is that the customer actually loses control of their account and the perpetrator sends the funds out. Um, this is particularly dangerous because the account often has been completely compromised and can be used by the perpetrator for as long as they like. Um, this is one of the reasons why at Luna we've invested specifically very heavily in, in account operating detection um, because we want to make sure that we, we protect our customers as good as we can against this crime. Um, it's tricky though. Um, scams are very tricky because we're dealing with people that think that they're actually doing the right thing. So another thing that we've recently done to combat this is we've launched a large campaign specifically targeted in South Africa with emails and videos explaining the dangers and, and what to look out for. A couple of things there I'd just like to unpack a little bit further. I mean, you spoke about your security. If I understood you correctly, your security being better than the banks. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit, what you mean by that? So, so when we look at where uh, fraud losses occur on our side that, that are due to security breaches, and we offset that against some of the recent reports issued, for example, by, uh, by PwC and LexisNexis um, in, in the last couple of months, what, what we see is that from a technology perspective, we, we are much better able to really focus on, on what is going on around the security of a customer's account. Like I said, that account um, behavior feature is very important for us because it allows us to really do early detection of, of abnormal behavior that goes on on a, on a customer's account, and it allows us to take um, very swift action. 
But the other thing I'd like to pick up with you is what you mentioned about romance scams. This is where people are using social media to track down, what, what is it? You know, lonely hearted people who have money um, and they pretend to be the, the, the long lost love that they've been looking for all their lives and they just basically empty their Luno accounts or their whatever accounts they've got. Tell us how that works. Yeah, so romance scams obviously are are particularly um, uh, um, hard for us to see because, yeah, to your point, these these are very engineered um, scams. So, and when I say that, what I mean is that a lot of time and effort is usually placed by the perpetrator to really form a bond with the victim to make them believe that they're in love, that they're going to have a future together, and then what you'll see is that all of a sudden um, the vic- the perpetrator starts either encountering a problem, uh, for example, a relative that has supposedly fallen ill or they've gone, they've fallen into financial hardship. Um, and they started asking if they, uh, for money or for, um, Bitcoin or for even for, in some case, material items to be sent to them. Um, it's very difficult for people to to go through this because effectively not only are you losing your money, uh, but you're also losing what you perceive as being um, your romantic relationship. And it's hard to combat um, as well because, again, like I said earlier, in, in this case, people really do believe that they're doing the right thing. Um, but, yeah, it's it's been certainly on the rise um, from what we can see in the last year. We know that Mirror Trading International was instructing its members to use Luno to purchase Bitcoin and then to ship that Bitcoin immediately to a crypto address, which would be controlled by the senior people at MTI. At what point did you become aware of this particular scam and were you able to do anything to prevent people kissing goodbye to their Bitcoin? Yeah, so interestingly… Luna never had a relationship with MTI as, as such. Um, in the early stages, when we saw any management involvement in, in Luno, we immediately disposed of, of these wallets. Um, however, we do have almost 2 million customers in South Africa, making us the biggest exchange in terms of customer number. So as one of the biggest exchanges in South Africa, a, a number of Luno customers have either received or sent money to MTI um, addresses using their Luno wallets. Um, Luno, we use Chainalysis as well as um, our intelligence team internally to continuously look out for, for illicit activity and scams like, like MTI. And as part of our continuous review, we noticed increased activity around MTI, firstly around the late 2019, early 2020, when Chainalysis, our blockchain monitoring tool, started identifying the activity linked to MTI as a scam. Um, it's a specific risk measure that they have, um, and they apply that to uh, addresses that have been identified by regulators or by the broader uh, crypto community as a scam. So during 2020, we actually spent a lot of time and effort conducting in-depth investigations into the scheme, into the people involved in the scheme. We reported cases to the Financial Intelligence Center on a, on a continuous basis, and we engaged with law enforcement as well as the, the FSCA um, regarding any guidance that they were able to give us uh, as to what to do with, with, this, uh, specific, with these specific flows of funds. Um, however, in an effort to protect our customers, and this was ahead of the actual FCA, FCA warnings um, that they issued later in 2020, we made, uh, Luna made the decision as actually one of the first of its clients in our industry to no longer process transactions towards M- uh, known MCI addresses. 
um, again, using um, the blockchain monitoring technology to assist us in identifying these addresses. And we did that because we really felt very, very strongly that we needed to protect customers from losing more funds. Um, some of them were very happy that we did this, and some of them initially were not too happy that we did this. But overall, I think um, from a Luno perspective, we we were very convinced that this was the right thing to do for our customers. And so that meant that these customers, if they wanted to hand over their Bitcoin to MTI to invest or do whatever they, they were going to do with it, they would have to go to another exchange and do that. Is that right? Uh, yes, it's it, that well, obviously that's their choice, um, but it was no longer um, possible to use Luno for that end. And, and at what point did you start doing this, where you started intervening and, and refusing to transfer Bitcoin to MTR-controlled wallets? I think if I recall correctly, this was around end of October, beginning of November of 2020 already. Okay. So the, the last few months of its existence before the whole thing collapsed, because it collapsed in December 2000 last, 2020 last year. Yes, yes. And like I said, it, it was the first of its kind um, to, to do this. And it, it required from our side quite a lot of um, certainty and investigations and and, and also, um, when dealing with regulators, some guidance around, you know, what, what is the right thing to do here? Okay. AfriCrypto was another scam, and it was reported that it involved a loss of $54 billion, but it turns out this wasn't the case. The $54 billion that was widely reported in the press was a so-called hot wallet controlled by Luno, and it seems that the AfriCrypto scam, scam was actually closer to $200 million. Can you tell us what you know about that? Yeah. Yeah, so this is a very interesting case for us because AfriCrypt actually popped on the radar of everyone in South Africa almost overnight. And I say overnight because on our side, um, using the monitoring tools that we have, AfriCrypt was not flagged by either of our uh, blockchain analytics tools. To and, and from the onset, we actually had some doubts about the reported losses. Um, and, and this might be to give a little bit of background to to some of the listeners. So AfriCrypt was an investment scam where participants were required to send Bitcoin um, to a wallet owned and operated by AfriCrypt. Um, and to participate, they were required to buy Bitcoin in Luno or other exchanges and then send it to AfriCrypt or to deposit rands directly into AfriCrypt's bank account. Now, from a Luno perspective, obviously what we see is any involvement that deals with, with the cryptocurrency side of it. Um, and, and like I said, because we're pretty much, the, we have 2 million customers, our, um, our exposure is in South Africa, we do have some exposure to individuals that had chosen to send cryptocurrency to AfriCrypt using a Luno wallet. But we never had any involvement with AfriCrypt or its companies or its directors. And um, AfriCrypt itself also did not have a Luno account. Um, we also didn't have any relationships with, with any of the directors of AfriCrypt or any of the related entities of AfriCrypt that were mentioned in the media. And what actually has appeared to have happened is that in the initial investigation that was uh, put out in the, in the media, the, there seems to have been a bit of confusion between Luno's hot wallet address and an individual customer wallet address. Yeah, explain what a hot wallet is. Yes, yeah. So to explain it a bit further, you can imagine a bank and your individual bank account. So a bank has bank accounts. It operates as part of its operations and to conduct settlements, etc., on behalf of itself or for multiple customers. 
So that you can compare that to, to a hot wallet. And then you have your individual bank account, which is directly linked to you as a person. And it pertains to transactions that only you would typically control and benefit from. So that you can compare to an individual Bitcoin address or wallet address. So hot wallets are used by exchanges, Luno including, to process many transactions for multiple customers in multiple directions at, at, at the same time. And as such, you can't actually link a hot wallet address to a specific individual wallet um, because, like I said, it contains many transactions for many customers. And what it seems to have happened in this case is that investigators had erroneously marked a Luno hot wallet address as the AfroCrypt address. So Luno's hot wallet, that specific hot wallet address, it represents the day-to-day transactions for conducted by ourselves for 9 million customers, which is pretty much the number of customers that we currently have. So not transactions that are conducted by individual customers or that are very specific to AfriCrypt. Um, this means that when we first saw the reported amount, there were two issues. The first one being... Well, it wasn't actually an AfriCrypt address. It was a Luno wallet address. And then secondly, the reported amount was overstated. Um, and the investigations, obviously, by law enforcement and, and um, uh, authorities are still ongoing on, on the case. So I, I can't say too much about what, what the actual loss is, etc. But that 200 million mark that you mentioned seems to um, seems to corroborate much more with what it is that we would deem uh, reasonable to assume as well. Okay, just going back on a more general note, are we seeing more or less financial crime involving cryptos? I, I mean, th- this is there's a lot of misreporting in the press about cryptos, and uh, you know, we've even seen that in MoneyWeb with people saying it's all a scam, it's a Ponzi, and it, and it should be shut down by a certain element. But uh, are, are we seeing this as the preferred currency of criminals? Yeah, so that's a very good question. And um, when we look at actual data, um, we're in a very lucky position that we're working in an industry that is completely data-driven. And all data is freely available because of the inherent transparency of what what cryptocurrency actually um, functions on. So when we look at the latest report, which is issued by Chainalysis, it was issued in February of this year, we are actually seeing quite a steep decline in illicit activity. Um, to give you some numbers, at 2019, so 2.1% of all transactions being recorded by Chainalysis on, as illicit. And that was for a variety of reasons, scams, darknet market transactions, ransomware payments, etc. And in 2020, we actually saw 0.34% of all transactions globally being recorded as illicit. So that r- roughly translates to 10 billion US dollars. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, and it is. But just to put that number in perspective, um, there's a UN report of 2020 that estimates that in Africa alone, annually, $88.6 billion are lost as illicit funds, right? So when we then offset $10 billion globally on, on, our trans- on transactions in crypto, it, it kind of puts it in perspective. But back to the crypto side, when we then look at what is in that 0.34%, which is where, where obviously the, the interesting insights start, start occurring, what we can see is that the overwhelming majority, 54% of these transactions involved scams. Um, and another big driver there in that 0.34% is um, 
uh, ransomware. Because what appears to have happened is that in the times of COVID, when everybody went working from home, uh, it did open companies up to vulnerabilities within the cybersecurity. Um, and therefore, ransomware uh, picked up quite a, quite a bit in 2020. But like I said, um, overall, we see a steep decline in financial crime in, involving um, cryptocurrencies. Yeah, so so obviously the question that you want to then, this, the next question is, okay, so so why do we see a, a decline in, in financial crime? And I think what we can state there is that there's, there's a couple of, of factors. Very honestly, overall, we've seen a transaction volume increase. Um, that means that illicit activity becomes more and more marginalized. Now, that doesn't mean that it's less important, on the contrary, um, but it just means that because the pie is getting bigger, the portion of the pie relating to financial crime gets smaller. Uh, and that's actually great news because it means that more and more people are, are getting involved in this crypto journey. I think another one which is, which is more in our control is that exchanges are putting significant effort um, into financial crime controls. So part of this driven by regulation, which is an amazing thing. I mean, really a big fan of regulation because it, it protects customers and consumers and, and it levels the playing field. Um, but it does seem to have, have some, and it, it does have, seem to have effect. And um, I think the one thing that is important to note is, is that as much as we see increased in regulation and we applaud it, um, again, that 54% uh, mark of, of scams is obviously um, quite a disturbing one. And it's, a, and it's a hard one as well, because again, it revolves around the human factor, which, which you can't really combat with regulation alone. So in short, the financial crime in crypto is definitely on a strong downward trend, but people um, should specifically always be vigilant for, for financial crime, especially scams. Okay, Ava, final question. Any words of advice for people thinking of buying Bitcoin as a way to grow their wealth? What should they look out for? Yes. So, so Kieran, I think um, it's a couple of things. Firstly, use a reputable exchange, right? Like I said, in reputable exchanges, they put a large amount of effort in, in making sure that your crypto is, is safe. Um, and, and there's also the second point, which is that it can only be as safe as, as the people that operate the wallet. So... The weakest link is very often, again, that human factor. Um, so, so the urge is for customers to really treat your wallet information with as much respect as you would your bank account. Right? Keep your login details safe. Don't share your username and password. Don't give anybody access to your, to your account. Um, and then lastly, I think the, the, old, the old, old adagium of if something looks to be good to be true, it probably is. So when, crypto, when people say crypto is volatile, they are completely right. But, not, um, but, but make sure that when you see investments and you see uh, opportunities, that you bear in the back of your mind that, that when it looks to be good, to be true, it, it usually also is. Eva Kruvel, Global Head of Financial Crime at Luno. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.